I got to record this podcast. That's what I've been thinking. Oh my God, I forgot to do something. It was record this podcast. I actually thought, crazy thing about this, I actually thought I recorded this podcast already because I did a little run through and spitballed a few ideas. And I don't usually do that on, I usually don't record myself doing this. So I just spitballed for a little bit, went for a few minutes, and then did something else, you know, forgot about it. I was thinking about the upcoming fight on Friday, and I thought I had already recorded this episode. Well, <clears throat> I didn't. So here it is. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Today is December 16th, 2021. Friday is a great light heavyweight championship fight, but before I get into that, I want to talk about the lightweight division because it's been on my mind for a while now, especially because, well, not especially because, only because there was a lightweight fight pretty much every week for the past four weeks. Last weekend was the last big one. It was Lomachenko versus uh, Richard Comey. Vasily Lomachenko versus Richard Comey Saturday night in New York City at Madison Square Garden. That was a great fight for one reason, one reason only. It was because Lomachenko put on a show. Vasily Lomachenko came back, dominated Richard Comey, showed why he is still Vasily Lomachenko. The movement was on point. The precision was on point. The relentless aggression and pressure, both mentally and physically, was all on display, as it always is, by Vasily Lomachenko. And Richard Comey really had no answer. I thought Richard Comey did a horrible job at sustaining his body attack, because early in the fight, I want to say rounds one through three, I saw great body punches by Richard Comey. And then he kind of got away from that in the middle of the fight, and especially after getting hurt in the seventh. The seventh round, Vasily Lomachenko drops Richard Comey and even <clears throat> proceeds to look at Comey's corner and pretty much ask them if they want to stop the fight. Are you going to stop this fight? He tells them, are you going to stop this or am I going to have to like he wanted the ref or the corner of Comey to stop the fight. It was great to see live. It was entertaining. It was a show. It got the crowd going crazy. Very cocky of Loma. But in the end, I think it cost him a stoppage because Comey's corner didn't stop it. Referee Steve Willis, one of the best referees in the game, didn't stop it because Comey wasn't going away. And Comey, you know, if you follow Comey's career, he was always one punch away from knocking a guy out. So a guy like Steve Willis, who loves blood and guts, is always making faces during the fights. Google Steve Willis, boxing referee. And you'll see some of the funniest faces ever because this guy, like us, is just into the fight. He doesn't need, he's, he's not even thinking about repping. He's thinking about, oh my God, this is a great back and forth action. And, oh my God, this guy just got hit with a crazy shot. How is he still standing? That is all being read off Steve Willis's face. Look at his facial expressions. They're amazing. But beside, back to the point, Steve Willis didn't stop the fight. The corner didn't stop the fight. So Lomachenko instead lets Richard Comey recover. Instead of stopping it himself, he was being braggadocious, uh, pandering to the crowd, pandering to his opponent's corner. And Richard Comey then had time to recover and then came back in the eighth and had probably his best round. 
I think I gave him that round, and that was the only round I gave him. Other than that, it was a shutout for Lomachenko, but I thought Loma definitely should have stopped him. He cost himself the stoppage, and I think there were times in that fight where Loma got a little bit reckless with his aggression. He's always aggressive, but I think he forced it a little bit too much, and if he did that against a guy with more creativity or more sense of mind to land on Loma and throw when Loma throws because Loma can get caught in those exchanges. We saw it with Jorge Linares when he dropped him. We saw it sometimes with Tiafimo Lopez, especially in the 12th round of their fight. We saw times where Loma is just standing there and trading for no other good reason other than he wants to. He's not really cautious of his defense. He's so enthralled on stopping you and putting on a show and landing punches on you where he's open for huge shots. And if he does that against a big puncher with speed, because Comey, while he is a big puncher, he didn't have the speed and he definitely was very predictable where you knew where his shots were coming from pretty much every time. And that wasn't a recipe to beat a guy like Lomachenko. Lomachenko is very different than any other fighter. I think in order to beat him, you have to be creative. You have to have something unpredictable you have to confuse a magician this guy studies movement studies boxing very well he's 396 and one in his amateur career like come on the guy isn't gonna go in there to lay down you have to do something spectacular but that doesn't mean he's unbeatable the guy has two losses and in those two losses it took two completely different styles In his first loss, which was only his second or third ever pro fight, he got completely mauled, got roughed up, got fouled, got hit low, hit behind the ear, like all kinds of unorthodox and something you don't see, especially in the amateurs, you don't see much of, something he wasn't expecting. And then in the Tiafimo Lopez fight, a fight where most people thought the only way Lopez could win was by knockout, You had a guy who was extremely patient, a guy who was waiting to counter Loma with power, something he isn't really used to, especially at 35, uh, 135. He's he's a guy who comes from lower weight classes, so he's always fighting a bigger guy. He didn't want to walk into power. But what he didn't realize was, at the time, Tiafimo was just taking whatever was given to him. And what happened was Lomachenko gave him six rounds. You just gave up half the fight right away. That's why there's no way I can see a case for him winning that fight. He gave up the first six rounds. He was expecting something different. So you have to confuse a guy like Lomachenko, which is very difficult to do. But the way you're not going to do that is just by throwing big right hands over the top. Like That's not going to win you a fight against Lomachenko. It's not enough. You need different layers to your game. And I think the lightweight division as a whole is filled with raw talent. That's undeniable. But I'm of the belief that it's also filled with unconventional thinkers. Guys you think are one way, but in reality, they're the opposite. A guy like Tank Davis, Javante Davis, comes off as not the smartest guy, can easily be distracted by like the limelight of his stardom. But in reality, Davis has a grasp on his career, and how to handle his status mentally. This is a self-aware guy. 
he has like a student-like approach to both boxing and life. You wouldn't realize that at first glance. Guy is a seasoned amateur. Tons of amateur fights. Masterful setups in the ring. This guy puts people, excuse me, this guy sets traps for people that you wouldn't believe. Look at the Santa Cruz fight. Him versus Leo Santa Cruz. That knockout was a thinking man's knockout. It was very calculated and methodical the way he set that up. It wasn't a guy that just goes in there and throws random power punches and hopes to get a knockout. No. It was great setup by Javante Davis. He also has life figured out outside the ring. Left his old neighborhood, focused in 100% on boxing. He realizes his potential. He realizes what's in front of him. He's not going to let that slide. Not going to let that slip from his grasp. He's not going to let that get away from him. He's seen the likes of Floyd Mayweather. He wants to get to that level. In a recent podcast, he stated he quit drinking because he felt when he drank, he became someone who he's not, which can explain some of his mishaps in the past. This is a guy that doesn't want to be out of control. This is a guy who is thinking before he does anything. He's he's setting you up when you don't even know it. That's the type of guy, both mentally, mentally and physically, is the type of guy who could beat a Lomachenko. We all know he has the speed. He has tremendous power. Um, recently, he displayed his back foot game against Isak Cruz that he could fight going backwards. He could slip punches as he's moving while still landing power shots. He's displayed that physically, and the mental aspect of his game is just growing with each fight, both inside and outside the ring. He has a total package. I think that will be a tough matchup for Lomachenko or any lightweight. A guy like Devin Haney, guy who on the outside looks like a pretty boy, looks like a defensive-minded guy, the way he's always talking about skills paying the bills, and he's a flashy type guy hanging out at Diddy's Mansion, things like that, where you think, okay, this guy's all about his looks. This guy's all about being flashy, but when it comes down to it, he ain't trying to stand toe-to-toe. He's not that guy. Well, actually, that is Devin Haney, who's shown that in his past two fights. People were calling him boring. He has a chip on his shoulder. He said, oh, I'm boring? Well, I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with my two toughest tests and not only outskill them, but outwill them. He'll stand and trade with you. He's from that cloth. He was brought to Mexico as a teenager by his dad fighting grown men because here in America you can't become pro until you're 18. I believe Devin Haney turned pro at 16 because he was in Mexico doing it. He's a guy who wants to prove everyone wrong. He may not have punching power like a Tank Davis, but he's going to sit there and show you he's more of a man than you. He's going to stand there and trade with you. He's going to pound your body with shots that you don't see coming. He's going to Mix up his offense like no one else in the division outside of possibly Lomachenko. Javante Davis, excuse me, Devin Haney. His output was just one of the most unpredictable I've seen in a while. You you think he's going one way, he's going the other way. And he's nonstop with it to the point where, all right, he's not going to continue this onslaught the whole round, but he does. And he does it in a way where he's still in the pocket. But he's so tall and has such a reach on you where he's outside of your range. That's going to provide differences and difficulties for everyone else in the division as well. Styles make fights. 
Haney's style is going to be tough for a lot of guys. His defense isn't the best. He doesn't move his head as much as he should. But that's because he's trying to go toe-to-toe. He's trying to hurt you. When you really look at him and say, oh, he's not that guy. No, he actually is. Look at the Linares fight. Look at the Jojo Diaz fight. His two toughest opponents, he went through them easily. And he has, to me, the two best wins this year that took place inside the lightweight division. Tank Davis had two great wins as well. but One of them took place in a division higher than the lightweight division. Took place at 140. Super lightweight. And so I can't count. I mean, it was a great victory. It was a tough competitor. It was a guy much bigger than him. Uh, Mario Barras was a top 10 super lightweight, but I won't count it as wins inside the lightweight division because technically it wasn't. So Haney, to me, had the best two victories in the division. And also, obviously, George Cambosas had the single best victory when he upset Tiafimo Lopez and took all of his belts. Before that fight, I looked at Cambosos as an aggressive fighter. I described him as gritty, as really tough, which he is and which he was in that fight. But he also displayed a different style that I wasn't expecting. He also displayed that he can fight going backwards from the outside, had a lot of range with his punches, could fight on the move. Um, Really impressed with his jab, his left hook. The guy displayed things that I didn't know were there. And that got him the victory and also put him at the top as far as status goes because he's the guy with all the belts and he has the best win of any of the others. Also, you have Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia, the public, he tells the public, you know, I'm going to knock these guys out. I'm super confident. Um, clearly the, the A side of any fight. I'm the top dog. I'm going to take this division over. But his actions say otherwise. He's a guy who's very insecure. He's the guy you can tell by the way he reacts to someone else's success when he's on the sideline that he seems to be really jealous about his own career, which I don't think he should be. His his win against Luke Campbell was extremely impressive, by far the best win of his career. So I don't get why he goes out of his way to discredit other guys in his division, especially someone like Devin Haney, who went out of his way to give his best wishes to Ryan Garcia after Ryan Garcia announced he was withdrawing from a fight because he was struggling with his mental health. Something I take very seriously. So when someone is vulnerable enough to express that to the to the public, I don't see why that same person would then turn around and belittle someone who did nothing but wish them the best. Said, you know, I don't kick a man when he's down. I hope Ryan Garcia deals with whatever he's going through and comes back strong. To turn around and nitpick that guy's fight and downplay his accomplishments doesn't make sense to me because you put yourself out there, now you're fair game. You're an easy target in my in my opinion, Devin Haney is much nicer than I am because I know if someone disrespected me the way Ryan Garcia did after I was nice to him and he's going through what he's going through, to me, that wouldn't be off limits to bring up. There is no line. Once 
once you get disrespected. If you're a guy who's respectful to everyone you meet, once you get disrespect back, it's fair game. There, There's nothing off limits at that point. If I was Devin Haney, I would have brought up every mental problem in the book, talked about Ryan Garcia's family, talked about everything there is because it was unnecessary. And when you provoke someone to that manner, expect to get the worst back. So Ryan Garcia, not to get off on a tangent, but Ryan Garcia is that enigma where you don't really know what you're going to get with that dude. He's he's very unpredictable, both in the ring and outside the ring. He has tremendous speed. He has underrated power in the ring. He has good height. He actually uses his height very well. He stands a little bit too straight up, but he does stand straight up and uses his height. And then outside the ring, like I mentioned before, extremely unpredictable. Um, supposedly has mental health problems. Supposedly had a broken hand always finding his way out of different fights. He was supposed to fight. He went on Mike Tyson's podcast and said he was going to fight Travante Ting Davis next. But then out of nowhere, claimed he had a Pacquiao fight in the making, even posted it on Instagram, um, saying dreams do come true. I'm fighting Manny Pacquiao. Da, 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 da. But that never came to fruition. Never heard anything after that, just that it wasn't even a legitimate discussion as far as I know. Manny Pacquiao clearly went in a different direction, was supposed to fight Spence, but uh, Tank wasn't waiting around for Ryan Garcia. He furthered his career, and then Ryan Garcia claimed, oh, I wanted to make the fight, but it was too late. Well, yeah, you had an agreement, and then you went out of nowhere with a fake story about Manny Pacquiao. That wasn't realistic. Not even the same weight class. So Ryan Garcia then says he's going to fight Fortuna. That doesn't happen. Says he's going to fight Jojo Diaz. That doesn't happen for two different reasons. But the moral of the story is Ryan Garcia, another unpredictable character in the ring and outside the ring. The initial point was to beat Lomachenko or to beat any of these guys, it's going to take someone with an unpredictable side of their game and more of a thinker's aspect. All these guys have different attributes, different styles, and I think if they all fought each other, nobody would be undefeated. Each guy could beat the other in a different way. Hopefully we get to see these matchups in 2022. The lightweight division is on fire. They all passed their tests. Now it's time to face each other. Now it's time to find out who the top dog is. Right now it's Cambosis, but we'll see what happens next. I think we all have opinions on who's going to win each matchup, who would win between these different combinations. But the truth is they're all vulnerable. They all have their weaknesses. They all have different styles, and we really don't know for sure until these guys all mix it up. Hopefully they do in 2022, but we're still in 2021. So Friday, December 17th, <clears throat> is a big fight. Light heavyweight matchup. Not lightweight, light heavyweight. Some big dogs going at it. Marcus Brown challenging Arthur Beterbiev Friday night on ESPN+. Plus. That is for the light heavyweight championship. Very under-the-radar fight, probably because we're coming off such a historic stretch that there wasn't much focus on this fight, but this is going to be a really good one. Artur Beterbiev is the consensus number one light, light heavyweight in the world. This guy is just a monster. 16-0, 16 knockouts. Only one fighter has even sniffed the 12th round against him. He's definitely the hardest puncher in the sport outside of the heavyweight division. 
when he throws a punch, when he lands a punch, it sounds like a sledgehammer hitting concrete. This guy hurts people. <laughs> That's all I can say. Not to grasp best analysis, right? This guy hurts people. No. In all seriousness, he does he's not much of a jabber. He is strictly power. He's not the fastest footed guy. He's not the best defensively. He's there to get hit, but he is coming to kill. He is throwing hooks and variations, and they all look like they hurt. I've heard guys say, and this is a real quote. I'm not saying he's being truthful. I'm just saying this is the real quote. Dude said, I have been hit by a car, and it didn't feel as bad as when I was sparring with Arthur Betterbiev. This guy destroys everything he punches. Alexander Vosdick was a great light heavyweight champion, undefeated at the time, from the same cloth as Alexander Usyk and Vasily Lomachenko. He is from their country. He is from their camp. He is underneath the same tutelage. He is a monster. That guy ended the career of Adonis Stevenson, put him in a coma. Well, when he fought Arthur Betterbiev, don't get me wrong, it was a very competitive fight. But Betterbiev put it on him, stopped him, and ended Vosdick's career. Vosdick hasn't fought since he retired. Arthur Betterbiev is a seriously dangerous fighter. He's going against Marcus Brown. Marcus Brown is a southpaw, very solid movement, great body puncher. He's 25-1 and with 16 knockouts. He's a very good fighter. He trains with Derrick James now. Same trainer as Earl Spence and Jamel Charlo. You know they're bringing that body work. He's going to pound the body of, of Arter Betterbiev, but I don't know if he can withstand 12 rounds against Betterbiev. But Brown is a very good fighter. He's a top five in that weight class. He is, um, I said 25-1. and one. His only loss is against John Pascal. John Pascal dropped him three times. And even with the three drops, it was a very close decision. And the fight was actually stopped in the eighth round and went to the scorecards because there was a cut created by uh, Pascal on Demarcus Brown that the referee said, you know what, this fight can't continue, it's too much blood here. But that just shows he was winning most of the rounds but got dropped three times and lost a close fight. But John Pascal actually tested positive a couple fights later for four different banned substances. Four different banned substances. This guy had more juice flowing through his veins than Hulk Hogan in the 80s. But when they asked Marcus Brown about that loss and how he felt after Pascal tested positive, Brown said, you know what? A loss is a loss. It's still on my record. Made no excuses. He said, I didn't get the victory. Point blank, period. So Derek James is now training him. This guy's high character. He seems like, you know what? A loss is a loss. I don't care if the guy was on 10 steroids. I still lost. And Pascal probably won't fight again. So he's probably not going to get his chance at a rematch. His biggest chance for redemption would be Friday night. If he can beat better BF, if he can take two championships from him, that would be really impressive. Brown is no slouch. He's going to go in there. Well-trained, like I said, Derek James is one of the best trainers in the game. And I expect the war. I expect a really fun fight. That's why I'm surprised this fight hasn't been getting that much promotion from ESPN or Top Rank at all. But I'm promoting it. Friday night on ESPN Plus, it's going to be a banger. Two light heavyweights going at it. Two top five light heavyweights. The number one and probably the number five 
going head to head. And one thing I like about this lightweight division, light heavyweight division, excuse me, I keep saying it because we were talking about the lightweights earlier, but the light heavyweight division, much like the lightweight division, is eerily similar in the fact that there's a lot of great talent and they're all fighting around the same time period. So they're all on the same schedule, meaning hopefully we can get more matchups between them in 2022. Last week, we saw Anthony Yard knock out Lyndon Arthur. That, to me, was an upset. Arthur won the first fight. This was a rematch. Yard, heavy hitter, tons of aggression, came straight forward, got the knockout early. That guy is going to be a fun fighter to watch. Dimitri Bivol also fought last week, undefeated. If better be a visit your favorite fighter in the division or your best fighter ranked in the division, Bivol must be because those guys are one and two. Bivol movement, great defense, great jab. He's another tough matchup. Gilberto Ramirez, another fighter. He fights this Saturday in the division, undefeated. I believe he's 43-0. High-volume Mexican body puncher, great action fighter. And also Joe Smith, the American construction worker who knocked Bernard Hopkins through the ropes on HBO. That guy became a star overnight. And then since then has strung together great victories over Jesse Hart, over Elider Alvarez. And I think his only loss since then was to Bivol. So a lot of guys to look forward to in this division. Light heavyweights can bang it out. They can show you skill. They can do it all. Very underrated division. And with or without Canelo in it, it's extremely interesting. So obviously keep an eye on the lightweights and definitely keep an eye on the light heavyweights as well. This Saturday is another fight that I'm sure everyone is looking forward to. That is Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley too. I'm only kidding. I'm sure not many people are looking forward to it, but some people are. I, for one, I fall in the middle. I am really entertained by Jake Paul. I think he does shine a light to real fighters like women's champion Amanda Serrano, who is on her second consecutive Jake Paul undercard. She's getting a lot of shine, getting more money than she's ever got. Stuff like that is great to see. He is doing some good things for the sport. Um, I think to the other side, the other side of the coin is he is a troll. So a lot of people believe him when he says some of this stuff. Like, you know, I think I'm in the same position that Ali was in. <laughs> and he says stuff like that, comparing himself to Ali and saying he's going to fight Canelo and all these other outlandish things to get people riled up. Like, how dare he think that? How dare he says Ali? What is wrong with him? He's a troll. So while he's trolling, he's also in the gym at the same time. Kind of like I talked about with those lightweights. You may think the guy's one way, but in reality, he's a different way. He's a clown on camera. He's a he's a showman. He's but in reality, he's in the gym. He's focused. He's got great trainers. He's in the ring with top sparring. He is been very active. Something you can't say about some of the top fighters in the world. They aren't very active. Canelo Alvarez is an exception. He's not the rule. Guy like Jake Paul, I think this is his third fight of the year. Which, say what you want, he's out there actually putting in work. He's staying active. He's staying in shape. He's getting those reps and getting that experience in. Yeah, he's not fighting top-level guys, but what pro boxer outside of Lomachenko, who came off of two gold medals, what pro boxer is starting their career fighting killers? Nobody. That's the game. You build your experience and your record up together. That's part of the game. And Jake Paul is part of the game. He's doing it the right way in my eyes. 
but he's just making more money than these lower level guys because he has a name from YouTube and he's fighting guys outside of boxing, fighting basketball players, fighting other YouTubers, fighting MMA fighters, and he's getting the best of them because he is a little bit more dedicated than them at boxing because they were doing other things. They were doing athletic things, but not necessarily boxing. And Jake Paul doesn't have, I mean, he may have a wrestling background, or that's Logan Paul, who knows. One of them has a wrestling, a legitimate wrestling background, but Jake Paul, for his entire professional athletic career, has been only boxing. So he's not adapting other habits that he had that a Tyron Woodley may have because he's so used to defending these different styles. Jake Paul, from day one of professional fighting, has been boxing. So I think he has a little bit more of an edge on a guy like Tyron Woodley. That's why I picked him in the first fight. And I'm going to pick him again in the second fight. The issue with the first fight was his stamina wasn't up to par. Hopefully he worked on that. Tyron Woodley is taking this fight on short notice. Who knows how well of shape he's in. He claimed he was in shape because he wants to fight three times in 2022. So he said he was training for that. And I like that both these guys have felt each other's punches. They went the, the distance the last time. Maybe they're more comfortable. Maybe they know um, each other's tendencies a little bit more. And we'll get more of an entertaining fight this time around. Also on that undercard is Frank Gore, former NFL player, versus Darren Williams, former NBA player. Two great athletes in their sports taking on each other in boxing. That's why boxing is great, man. It's the only sport where this happens. This is happening on a pay-per-view card. Two guys from different sports clashing, getting it on in the squared circle. Should be a entertaining fight, hopefully. I mean, I don't know what to expect, but I do know that Frank Gore has at least a decade of experience in boxing. And I've seen, from what I've seen from Frank Gore and what I have never seen from Darren Williams and don't know anything about Darren Williams' background, he could be a sensational boxer for all I know. Judging by what I know and what I've seen, I expect Frank Gore to beat the shit out of Darren Williams. But we will find out. Frank Gore is a monster on the field, and looks like a monster in the ring. My money's on Frank Gore. Take Frank Gore by murder. <laughs> but maybe Darren Williams will surprise us. You never know. This is boxing. Um, that is on Saturday night, Showtime pay-per-view. But to me, the best fight of the weekend, Friday night on ESPN+, Plus, Arthur Beterbiev versus Marcus Brown for the late heavyweight championship. Tune into that. Watch it all if you can. Who knows? But have a great weekend. Thank you guys for supporting me. Thank you guys for sharing this podcast, liking it, um, posting it on Twitter, Reddit, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you find content like this. And please share it with your boxing friends. Please share it with someone who isn't a fan or wants to become a fan. Send them a link. Let them know the deal. I got you covered. You don't got to remember these wild schedules that boxing has. I will break them down for you. Also, this I believe there'll be one more episode before the end of the year, and that will be the yearly wrap-up. I'm going to break down the five best. Well, not break them down, but I'm going to list my five favorite fights of the year, my top three fighters of the year, my three 
worst predictions of the year and my three best predictions of the year. It's been a good year. 2022 should be even better. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. I'm out.